0: Good morning. morning I'm delighted to be here again um, you guys are pretty amazing to put up with me thank you for having me back in uh, in this case I plead um, um, mercy from you I uh, kissed my wife about ten days ago and um, <laughs> done it since once or twice but <laughs> I uh, ended up getting a cold she had a cold my wife throws coals off just like that in 38 years of marriage I think I've seen her down in bed maybe for three days literally me on the other hand I get them and next thing I know I'm completely wiped out I spent two hours yesterday in the urgent care because I've got a, just a super sinus infection like cold they put me on prednisone and all that. I was trying to get ready so I could at least stand up here because it was a last minute deal for y'all if I had to back out. I wasn't real excited about that. So um, I'm going to basically read my sermon today. If I get too far off course, I'm af- I'm afraid I'm going to start laughing or doing something and I'll start hacking. So please forgive me if I hack. There's a, a cough drop in my mouth and I may put another one in before I stop, so Heads up on all that. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be looking at a um, a passage in Matthew chapter 8. I'd like to begin with my introduction Here is One of the keys to knowing how mature you are as a Christian is this. Do you desire to please God or do you desire for God to please you? We just spent two weeks with our four- and six-year-old grandchildren. We took care of them 24-7 for eight days while my daughter and her husband went to England. They ultimately wanted to be pleased the entire time. (laughs) They considered our job was to care for them at all levels. I appeased them most of the time. I took them to a Waffle House, to IHOP, to ice cream three times found out this morning I gained five pounds <laughs> the bouncy house birthday parties etc my wife is the trooper in all this she took him to school and got him ready for bed and did all that my job was to please them con- continually so they would not cry <laughs> throw fits scream or be belligerent while I appeased them but when I crossed their will, you guys all know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Most of you got grandkids, and you've, and you've all had kids. When I crossed their will, there was a sudden concern for safety on their part. I didn't have to spank them this time, which was good, but I have in the past. Who's mature in this picture? I hope I am <laughs> so in your heart of hearts how is your relationship with him are you the mature one are you seeking to please him or are you more interested in him pleasing you have you ever been upset with God ever gotten mad with God you didn't answer your prayer didn't do something you wanted him to do didn't do it in time. <laughs> I have. Actually, I've done it on a fairly regular basis over the almost 40 years, 44 years I've walked with God. <clears throat> have you ever been upset with him? That is the display of maturity right there. There are a thousand ways to please God, but not one without faith. A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, a tremendous man of God, he said, you'll never learn faith in comfortable surroundings. That is not exciting to me. I don't like suffering. I don't know about you guys, but I I don't enjoy hurt. (laughs) But I also understand that usually when I get to the point of the end of myself, that's when I begin to call out to God. And that's when my faith begins to have to get into gear so that I can believe him to do whatever's necessary in my life or or others. Vance Havner, I don't know if you've ever heard of Vance Havner. He's a Southern Baptist icon. <laughs> he died like in 90 or 92. I got to hear him preach twice. He is probably the funniest preacher I've ever heard in my life. Very, very wise old Appalachian hillbilly. Really was. Sometimes he'd get you laughing so hard you felt like you were going to pop. And then he'd take a sword, of the, a sword of the word and he'd stick it all the way into your heart. And you'd just go, oh. But you'd be laughing and you would receive it. It was amazing what this man could do. He said this, we take our faith for granted. And what we take for granted, we never take seriously. Matthew tells us about who Jesus is from the perspective of a Jew. Matthew is written specifically to the Jew. It's one of my favorite Gospels. It was the birth of Jesus with the Jewish chronology. It has the temptation of Jesus with a picture of the temple. It has the Sermon on the Mount, which would have been totally countercultural to the Jew, but extremely relevant at the same time. He is to this day people quote the sermon on the mount at every strata of society not knowing it sometimes is still that relevant then uh pardon me then the reader comes to chapters eight and nine where there are nine specific miracles one right after another with two calls to discipleship aimed at the jew first and then at you and me as Gentiles I want to look at one today as one of the most amazing counters Jesus has it's written in the book in Matthew 8 verse 5 let's just read that together It says now when Jesus had entered Capernaum a centurion came to him pleading with him saying Lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour may God bless his word would you pray with me for a moment (coughs) God we know that from your word that we need faith to please you without faith it's impossible to please God and so Lord we want to grow in our faith we want to we want to become men and women who walk in faith we want to see you do amazing things Both in our lives, in our life, and the lives of others. And so, God, we ask that you would encourage us today, that you would challenge us, that you would open your word to us and let us drain from it the the nuggets of truth that we can use to become men and women of faith, greater men and women of faith. Bless now our time around the word. Fill us with your spirit and speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name amen we're gonna look at this in four outline four points of an outline the first is a centurion's plea for help this centurion comes to Jesus for help in verse 5 I want you to try to catch what has happened here Uh, a centurion I looked it up yesterday I I, I sort of knew this but I just wanted to make sure I was right but a centurion was a leader of a hundred Roman soldiers and they basically formed their legions. A legion was usually anywhere from 30 to 60 so, uh, centurions in their their group. So the centurions were always sent out in front of their hundred. So there was a turnover of them on a regular basis because they'd get killed fairly quickly. But they were picked because they were men of, of outstanding courage and valor. They were willing to step in and and lead and 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 the people around them the, uh, the other soldiers looked up to them they were highly esteemed in Roman culture and if you would the Roman army basically was built around the idea of a centurion so this is this is quite a, a um, an out-of-the-ordinary situation for this guy to step up and start to ask Jesus for help um, he he's, uh, has courage to even come into his presence. He comes to Jesus, a man of peace, a wandering teacher, a Jew, and the object of many faith at this moment. The centurion was the commander of a division of Roman soldiers, the occupying or, army. Orthodox Jews would have considered him unclean because of his race. And they despised him as a Roman being a sign of foreign domination. And this centurion knew all of that. He knew what he was stepping into. It's interesting that all centurions, though, mentioned in scripture were gentlemen and displayed the highest character and sense of duty. They were outstanding men, even though most were not even remotely interested in Christianity. Look at the verse in verse five. He says, now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, and then note this word, pleading with him. Now, I want you to understand how totally uncharacteristic it was for this Roman soldier of a conquering army to come to an itinerant, wandering Jewish preacher and ask him for help. That in and of itself speaks Of his great need what was going on in his heart struck that chord that that A.B. Simpson speaks of is sometimes we have to get to the point of distress before we'll ask God for some help this guy was in distress a roaming a Roman asking a Jew for help was unbelievable that would be like an An American asking Costa Rica for help against ISIS, or a U.S. Army general asking a Native American Indian to cure them from some disease with Indian practices. The whole scene was backwards for a Jew. Now look at verse 6. Jesus replied, He said, Lord, or excuse me, He's uh, the. The centurion said, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. First, the centurion addressed him as what? Lord. Lord. You see the picture here? That's an unbelievable statement. Here the conqueror Is speaking to the conquered and addressing him as Lord. But who's really in in control, the Roman or Jesus? This is how, this is a huge show of respect and submission to a Jew from a Gentile centurion soldier. He approaches Jesus as Lord, which already indicates that he knows Jesus can help. Now, catch this. He willingly submits himself to Jesus when he said Lord he was submitting himself you and I need to submit ourselves to him if we're going to see him work in our lives when we call him Lord we're saying you're in control you're in charge you're you're Lord of Lords and King of Kings you're over it all so (coughs) Pardon me. Note he's pleading for a servant. That's another anomaly in this whole thing. It's speculated that 70 to 80% of the Roman population of that day, of all the Roman Empire, were slaves. Slaves were bought and sold like you and I buy butter in the grocery store. They were just... If you didn't like him, you beat him or you killed him and you threw him out and you got another one. But this man loved his servant so much that it was causing him deep distress. There is an explanation, possibly. It doesn't say it in the passage, but often the fathers would hire a Greek uh, or excuse me, would buy a Greek slave, who understood the teachings of Plato and Aristotle and some of the great old uh, Greek uh, historians and scholars and had them come in and tutor their children. And it's possible that this man may have been <coughs> this man's tutor and he'd kept him his whole life. He's like a father to him. Passage doesn't say that, but I can't imagine any other reason. <coughs> in one sense, for this Roman... To love this man so much that he would get completely out of character to go and ask Jesus for healing. There was something going on in this man's heart that was screaming for help. And it was shown by the fact that he went for a servant. He wants a servant to be healed. Servants were bought and sold. (coughs) Servants in that day were expendable. <clears throat> Thank you so much. I don't know if this will help or not. <clears throat> but the Gentile lived and cared for his servant. He wanted relief and healing for his servant. He loved his servant so much that it pained him that he was ill, very ill, so that he might lose him. I think this is why this story is so remarkable. And it's in the Bible. This man understood something about Jesus and love for those who later read Matthew needed to understand, you and I. Jesus responds to love. Love encased in faith. That's what happened here. Jesus responds in verse 7. Look look at verse 7. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus responds to his respect, his submission, his concern, his compassion, his love and faith. And he says, I'll come and heal him. The emphasis in the Greek is on I. In other words, I'll take care of it. I'm the one. You, You came to the right place. It's forceful, stressing his control and authority, Jesus will always come when we ask in the same vein with respect submission concern compassion love and faith he'll always respond to that Jesus response is always to help now let's look at the centurion's response to this look at the centurion's humble submission in verse 8 the centurion answered and said Lord I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority and having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes into another, come, and he comes to my servant. Do this, and he does it. The centurion gives an absolutely amazing response No one anticipated this. Jesus is God in the flesh, and it completely catches him off guard. How do you do that with God? I mean, think about that for a second. God knows everything before and after. I don't think you can possibly do it. But yet Jesus, being God in the flesh, in in verse uh, 10, it says he marveled. Whoa! Did you hear what this guy just said? He's shocked. First, he states that he's not worthy to have Jesus come into his house. This is a huge show of humility because the centurion understands who Jesus is. He was a Roman and Jesus was a Jew. The Romans had all authority over the Jews at that time. Any of you watch the uh, Chosen series? They depict the Romans in a really good way, actually. They had absolute authority if they wanted it. But the centurion also knew it would defile Jesus as a Jew to come into his house. And so he did not want to detract from him in any way. The conqueror, in this case, does not want to humiliate the conquered in any way. I think his name is Al Hendrickson. In his commentary, he stated this. He said, but the centurion... On hearing Christ answer, he becomes overwhelmed with this sense of unworthiness. After all, who is he in comparison to the exalted one, the personal embodiment of majesty, authority, the all-embrace of power and condescending love, a love that bridges every chasm and overlaps every obstacle of race, nationality, class, and culture? He understood who Jesus was. Second, he asked Jesus to simply speak a word, and he knows his servant will be healed. That's an amazing display of faith. I don't know about you, but I struggle with my faith almost continually. I ask God to do something, he doesn't do it right then. I'm going, "What? Uh, wait, wait. You know, I've been praying for my kids, some of them, for 15 years now. What's going on, God? My best friend, when I was growing up, I don't know why I just thought of this, but I mean, we did everything together. When I got saved, I started witnessing to him. He came up and visited me in Burley. After he visited me, he, he, we got on the phone one day together, he says, I don't want to ever talk to you again. I said, what? He said, you won't t- stop talking about Jesus. I can't handle it. I'm still praying that he gets saved. That was 30-plus years ago. Why didn't God answer sometimes? He's got other plans. God's in control. God knows what he's doing. i got to trust him. Verse 9, the centurion tells Jesus that he knows who he really is. He knows that Jesus can do this because he's a man under authority because he is under authority. He understands Jesus authority. Now please, if I don't if you don't get anything else I say this morning, catch this one. Authority is the key here. It's the key to this pa- passage. Warren Wiersbe One of his books states, it's worth noting that only those who are under authority have the right to exercise authority. This begs the question in my mind, are you under the authority? Am I under the authority of Christ? Is he my ultimate authority? When I say, Lord, do I really submit to him? Am I really willing to do whatever he asks me to do? Understanding authority displays maturity. My little six-year-old, she just turned seven on May 20th. She was born with an iron rod in her spine. She is strong-willed out the window. So I'd tell her to do something. Literally, she would turn us and I'd say, Poppy, I don't really want to do that. And I go, it's not a point of discussion. I'm not going to do it." Well then, Poppy's going to have to pop you. (laughs) Oh, we'd we'd go back and forth like this. This There's a seven-year-old telling me what I need to do. Now her four-year-old brother is not anything like that. If I tell him what to do, he looks at me and he's off doing it. Some understand authority in different ways. I tell her mother, she's going to be a great negotiator. (laughs) I don't know what feel, but she'll be able to negotiate anything. (laughs) Authority, understanding authority, displays maturity. Being under Christ's authority shows maturity. Asking God to be under your authority also shows a lack of maturity. I have prayed this prayer So many times it's ridiculous. Lord, why haven't you gotten it done yet? Or something to that effect. How come I'm having to wait, Lord? Who's in charge at that, or thinks they're in charge at that point? How ludicrous is that? And yet, my guess is we've all done that at different times. We get frustrated and want God to move or work or do something. Remember the scripture, Romans 8.28. This isn't in my notes, so don't worry about it. But what's Romans 8.28? All things work together for good to them love, love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. Sometimes you don't understand why God's not doing it, but he does. So I'm going to submit to his authority. Daniel Webster defines authority as the power or right to give commands, enforce obedience take action or make final decisions. It has the idea of jurisdiction. The centurion understood that Jesus had the authority to do whatever pleased him. Jesus is the highest authority. A Gentile, not a Jew saw this and understood this. A non church member saw and understood this. Do we really believe that Jesus is the highest authority? That he can do whatever he pleases, that ultimately we answer to him. If so, then are we willing and intentional about doing whatever he asks us to do? Most of that we'll find in the Word of God. We just have to spend time studying it and reading it and understanding it. Authority is the key to right relationship with the Lord, authority is the groundwork of faith. If you do not believe he can you do not believe consider this what did Adam lose in the garden by naming all the animals he demonstrated authority over God's creation then he lost his authority when he disobeyed God in fact he gave his authority up to the serpent and we have been paying the price humanity for that one decision ever since then. Look at Matthew 4, 1 to 11 with me real quick. Jesus confronts um, Satan or Satan confronts Jesus. He's One man said he's at his weakest point. At his weakest time, he's 40 days of prayer and fasting. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. What's that right there? Command. That's an act of authority. He's saying, Step out from underneath the will of God. Step under my will and make this command and you'll be full when you get finished but he answered and said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of God throw yourself down for it is written he shall give his angels charge what's the word charge He'll give his his angels authority over you. He actually misquotes that verse. If you go back and look at it, it's misquoted. Better know your word, because Satan will get it right close to you to to give it to you. But he's actually misquoted here. That's another sermon. And then he says, In their hands they shall bear you up, at least you dash your foot against it. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with him about his quotation. But he answers him with the word. In every every instance, he answers him with the word. That's how strong the word is. If you don't know the word, you're going to get run over by Satan. Your authority is all found in the word of God. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What was that all about? Who had authority over whole, all the world at that time? Satan. Ephesians tells us he's the, he's the God of the air. Of the, he's the prince of, of the air. He owns the world. When, when Adam made his mistake, Jesus comes. He's the new Adam, and he's taking care of the mistake that Adam made by not giving in to Satan and worshiping him falling down underneath his, what, authority. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, the word of God again, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, follow this up, look at Matthew chapter 18, or Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Matthew twenty eight. You all know this. I hope you know this. What is this? It's a great commission, right? Look what it says here. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "All what authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit." Teaching them (laughs) to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Does Satan have authority here? Who has all authority now? Has Satan been defeated? Why Why are we afraid of him? We're children of the king. I'm a king's kid. I have all the authority that my king, my father, my my brother has. (coughs) What was given to Jesus once he defeated the devil on the cross? All authority. How much does the devil have now? Hold your fingers up and do this. How much does the devil have now? He has zero authority over us. He's usurping it all the time. He's still trying to make things work. We're living right now. I'm running down a wrong road here. Forgive me for just a second. We're living in a time right now where de- the devil's playing his hand real, real broadly, and we can see it if you will just look. The devil's making a huge play to take back the world right now. It's there. We're in a warfare. And I want to just mention this before I, I leave here, but look at verse 19 and in in, uh, in um in Matthew chapter 28. Sorry about that. But um it says go therefore and make disciples of all the people right oh it says nations that's a political entity, isn't it? You see, we've read this for years and years and years as if it was meant for us to go out and evangelize one person at a time in order to see the world evangelized. But what Jesus said was we're to go out and take the nations for Jesus, not with a gun not with harshness with love and compassion but we're to take the nations united states was set up to be a nation that was taken by god and right now we're in a war to have it taken back that's my commercial now look at acts chapter 1. acts chapter 1 verse 8 There's something that happens here because often, (coughs) often we make a distinction or we, we think, excuse me, that there's, that authority and power are the same thing. Power just is used to enforce authority, but authority comes actually before power. It's after There has been authority given to the disciples that Jesus says, wait, and when the Spirit comes, you'll get the power. Look at verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the end of the earth. Power comes when you submit to the authority. Don't miss that, okay? You go out to witness to somebody, you're stepping out under the authority, and then God will give you the power. When I step up here to preach, I I was called to preach. God put this in my heart. I still have to take the step of coming up onto the platform or standing up wherever I do it and proclaiming the word of God. Then God anoints it with the power. Look at Jesus' response to the centurion. Run back to Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Excuse me. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who far, followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus marveled. He's amazed. He's shocked. He's astonished. He was Nearly stunned, he he had looked for faith in all Israel and found it in a Gentile. To the Jew, how humbling that must have been. Or infuriating that Jesus would say, this Gentile has more faith than you religious church people over here. Excuse me, but that was the church of the day. He's not found such get great great faith. Then Jesus gives further insight. Look at verse 11. He says, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all great men of the faith, all mentioned in the hall of faith, in the kingdom. But, now here's where you need to be careful. The sons of the kingdom. What kingdom is he talking about? Written to Jew, Matthew's written to Jews. I believe he's talking about the Old Testament Davidic kingdoms that split. And then the, the, the progeny, if you would, of the Jews that are there now it, when he's talking. All these Jewish people who knew the law better than you or I even dream of knowing the law, knew the word inside and out, studied it to the nth degree, didn't know the God of the word. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into inner darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus was so struck that the covenant people, sons of the kingdom, will not be saved, but will be cast into hell because they do not have faith. They have a form but no substance. Consequently, they will weep and grind their teeth in unending hopelessness. Bruner states in his commentary, Hell is not a doctrine used to frighten unbelievers. It is a doctrine used to warn those who think they are believers Jesus speaks more of hell I think I heard just this last week It's like eight or ten times more than any other writer or character in Scripture the Jews thought they were in but all can only come in through Christ notice this Jesus is the centurion of, is the center of the centurion's faith He's the object of his faith. In ours, the centurion understood that this is all about Jesus. Vance Havner, that Baptist preacher I mentioned earlier, he said, faith has no value of its own. It has value only as it connects with him. If you leave this this morning and going, "Um, how's my faith? I'm not sure my faith's right. I've got to check my faith. That's the wrong thing to do. The right thing to do is to look at Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And spend time with him, get into his word. Romans 10, 17 says, um, (coughs) oh, please put it up there, thank you. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? By the word of God. The word is how you grow your faith. I would say most Christians are babes in Christ. Would you agree with me on that? You know why I know? Church, in my estimation, is on most of their op- options list. You know, if I feel like it, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. If the weather is good, I was amazed when I first came here as a pastor in Montana. I thought Montanians are so tough, they'll be there regardless of snowstorm, drought, whatever. No. Almost as bad as in the South. When revival really comes, I believe we'll have problems with traffic on Sunday morning. Fourth thing to see here, and this one goes real quick. The Lord answers the centurion's faith with healing. Jesus gave him a command and it was done at that moment. The centurion believed his servant was healed. When we're desperate for help and we pray, if we humble ourselves, you know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen he says, "If we will humble ourselves and pray and turn from our sins, then He will hear." When we exercise heavenly compassion, love, <clears throat> and concern and faith, our prayers will be answered. We plead on the basis of Christ' authority through His Word. <clears throat> A little boy. Was crossing the ocean with his father who was the captain of the ship when they ran into a storm The waves tossed the ship about like a cork and everyone was stricken with fear But the boy sat still with his eyes directed towards a certain spot He sat there quite unperturbed as the ship was being tossed about by the waves Someone asked him if he were not afraid and he answered I have my eye on that little window and through that window, I see the bridge. And on that bridge is my father. And my father's the captain of the ship. And he's taken it through many storms. You have your eye on Jesus, he's the only one that will take you through the storms. That's what faith is keeping your eye on the one who has authority. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Fill us with your spirit in such a way that we cannot do anything but direct our gaze upon you. Walk with you, call on you, talk with you, enjoy you, disturb you at times. Ask, listen, respond. Be obedient. Lord, grow us in our faith so that we might be warriors for you lord we're called to fight a spiritual warfare we can do that till the day we die so we ask lord that you would infuse us so that we might be those who walk by faith and not by sight thank you for the story of this centurion may we take these little glimpses into authority and into understanding our walk with you to grow us lord grow us thank you in jesus name amen